Good morning. Uh, please read along with me as I read uh, 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 to 11. Sorry about that. 2 Peter. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who through the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ have received a faith as precious as ours, grace and peace to be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. For this reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness, knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control, and to self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, mutual affection, and to mutual affection, love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. For if you do these things, you will never stumble, and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord Jesus, Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. May the Lord add his blessing to this word. You know, God's word is inspired, but the names of the books were made up by humans, uh, not God. And someone needed to come up with more creative ways to differentiate the books because it's confusing sometimes. You know, hey, LITs, uh, be cool and be respectful of your parents, but I have a question I want you to think about. Don't raise your hands. Have you ever been embarrassed by your parents? Kind of feel like they're a little dorky sometimes, corny. Every teenager ever has felt that way. I have bad news for you you were going to end up exactly like them. Listen, when I was a kid, my mom would get hopelessly lost in the car at least once a month. She, we'd be going to like a grocery store that we'd been to many times before that was a little bit further away from home than usual, and we'd end up just driving around for ages, not knowing where we are. And, and you know, after about like 40 minutes of driving around, or probably not quite that long, but I was young, so it felt that long. You know, and, and this is before we had maps on our phones telling us what to do, right? So understand that. My mom would every single time, like every single time, would go, oh, I know where I am. I've been lost here before. And then we would know where, we'd, where to go from there. Guess who inherited her poor sense of direction, right? Is anyone here still from the youth group when I was a youth pastor been on a retreat with me? Not a whole lot left. Do you remember getting lost all the time? Like it was so bad, guys, that the youth group, the teenagers, pitched in money to buy me a GPS before, before we had it on our phones, the worst part was one of those times when I was lost on my own and I was driving around for a while and then I realized where I was. You know what I said? Oh, I know where I am. I've been lost here before. I was horrified. Now, that's not even close to as bad as what I inherited from my dad. My dad has the worst sense of humor in the world. He told dad jokes before though they were like a cool genre of joke, just constantly, every day. We'd be sitting at the dinner table and my mom would say something like, I need to put maple syrup on our grocery list. And he would say, that sounds sticky. Now, cut to today where my wife is very careful to always say, 
I need to write maple syrup on my grocery list because I will say the exact same thing. You know, the worst is when we get together for a family dinner, like every single time we do, someone will say something, and my dad and I, at the exact same time, unrehearsed, will come up with the exact same corny joke, like the exact same one. It's terrible. And it's worse than that because the other day, Becky was saying, we're talking about like our weekend plans, and she, she wanted to go through them, and so she says, we need to talk about, and myself and my four-year-old daughter, MJ, interrupted her and said, Bruno. Now, if you don't get that joke, you've been sp- spared from a very catchy Disney song, but the point is, my daughter is four years old, and she's already doomed. <laughs> There's no getting around it. You are going to be like your parents. If you got their DNA, you've been raised by them, it's guaranteed. Now, there are maybe some things that with God's help, you can avoid some of the darker things that maybe in, are in your family history. I know that's true of some of us. But know that you're going to struggle with the same things that your parents did, at the very least. You're going to be like your parents. Do you know that Christian life is a lot like that? Last week, we started a sermon series on Second, Tim, uh, Second Peter. Excuse me, I was in the wrong, wrong book altogether. Second Peter, not Timothy, in the New Testament. This is a letter the Apostle Peter wrote to some Christians that were living in a part of the world that's now called Turkey. Back then it was called Asia Minor. These Christians were facing some problems living the Christian life. Particularly, they had people who'd come into their church, claimed to be Christians, but then turned out to be false teachers. They had walked away from what they said that they believed. They were living very immoral lives and trying to bring everyone else along with them, saying, you don't have to live that way. You don't have to believe those antiquated things. You can live this way and believe these things. And so Peter wrote this letter to remind the Christians in these churches that the Christian life is a gift that comes through knowing Jesus. He's encouraging them to remember the gift of it and to lean into knowing Jesus more so they don't get led astray. Now last week he looked at the, the first four verses of the letter and saw what the gift is, the gift that God gave us. Because of our relationship with Jesus and our knowledge of him, we've been saved, by, saved from sin We've been given everything we need to live a godly life now. Do you remember that from last week? And we've been promised that one day Jesus will come back to do do away with sin once and for all. And when that happens, we're going to be made perfect too. Today we're going to pick up in verse 5 and see what we need to do next as Christians. And how how do we live now because of the gift we've received through knowing Jesus? And here's what we're going to see. That everyone who knows Jesus and and has received this gift is going to start living and becoming like Jesus. If you really are a Christian, you're not going to be able to avoid it. It's going to happen to you. So our big idea for today is that if you've received the gift of salvation through knowing Jesus, you're you're going to grow to be like him. If you've received the gift of salvation through knowing Jesus, you're going to grow to be like him. Or or another way of saying that is you're going to grow to be holy. We're going to take a look at how that happens in our lives through this passage. And I hope that as we do, you'll be encouraged to keep going and growing. So here's our our first point that we're going to see in 2 Peter chapter 1, starting in verse 5. That growing to be like Jesus takes work. So work at it. Though it's going to happen if you're really a Christian, it it does take work. So you have to put in effort. Growing to be like Jesus takes work, so work at it. So look at verse 5, 
2 Peter chapter 1, verse 5 says, for this very reason. Okay, before we go any further, whenever you read for this very reason, you need to know what we're talking about, right? What Peter is about to say is the result of what he said before. So let me read verses 3 and 4 for you again. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, that's his glory and goodness that he just mentioned, through these he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them, through those promises, you may participate in the divine nature having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. You received a gift of salvation. Because you know Jesus. God has given you promises and everything you need to live a godly life. And particularly that last part, that you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. Because you know Jesus, you're becoming like him. You're participating in his nature. You've already escaped the power of sin that's in you normally, naturally. That's the corruption that's in the world caused by evil desires. You've escaped that. Sin has no power over you. We talked about that last week. If you know Christ and have received his gift of salvation, then you have not only been forgiven from your sins, but sin is no longer your master. There's never an excuse to give into sin. You can say no every time. Then we come to verse 5. For this very reason, because of all that stuff that we just said. Make every effort to add to your faith goodness, to your goodness knowledge, and to knowledge self-control, and to self-control perseverance, and to perseverance godliness, and to godliness mutual affection, and to mutual affection love. All right, what's going on here? This is a list, but it's not just any kind of list, it's a virtue ladder. What the heck is a virtue ladder? This is a common literary device in the ancient world. Remember English class and learning about literary devices? Like alliteration, when all the words simply start to sound the same? Or onomatopoeia, where the swishing of your pen or the clacking of your keyboard pops out sound effects into words? I told you I was corny. Or analogies. Well, this is like, this is like that. This virtue ladder was a way people commonly wrote about being morally good. It's a list presented as rungs of a ladder or steps, starting with one and building. But here's the thing. This isn't meant to be taken literally as if you have to start with uh, goodness. Or sorry, you have to start with faith. And once you've mastered faith, then you can start to work on goodness. And then once you've got faith or goodness down, then you can go on to knowledge. It's not like that, right? It's not meant to be done in order. It's just kind of presented dramatically. Now, the, the top rung and the bottom rung tend to be the bookends of the most important, right? We're starting with faith, ending with love. But everything in the middle, it's, it's just a dramatic way of kind of giving a list. Honestly, this list is basically the same thing as its more famous cousin, the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5 is a list of virtues that the Holy Spirit produces in us, right? Love, joy, peace, peace patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. But this list in 2 Peter it doesn't actually mention the Holy Spirit in it at all. Instead, we're told to work hard at these things. Does that strike anyone as odd? Isn't the whole foundation of Christianity that we're saved by grace through faith and not by our works, right? That's Ephesians 2. 
Here's, here's the thing. This, that's exactly why this virtue ladder is presented to us after we're reminded of our salvation is a gift that comes through knowing Jesus, right? Grace is a gift. Faith is knowing Jesus. We're saved by grace through faith. But as a result of that gift, here's what we need to do. We need to work hard. Now, listen, this work is not saving you. No, it's a result of your salvation. You don't work hard to be saved. You work hard because of your saved. There's a Christian philosopher and writer known as Dallas Willard. He puts it this way. Grace isn't opposed to effort. It's, a, it's opposed to earning. You still work as a Christian, but you don't work to earn your place as a Christian. And we have to take this passage and put it next to all the other passages in the Bible that talk about our work being through the power of the Holy Spirit. This isn't something you do on your own, but with God's grace at work in you through the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, you know, one of the things about growing up, guys, and teens, I think you need to particularly hear this, is that I've come to realize that being my parents isn't really that bad of a thing. In fact, it's a really good thing. I have, I have wonderful parents. They love God, and they love each other, and they love my brothers and sisters and me, and now my kids as well. They've done that sacrificially for my entire life. They've also shown me how to love other people sacrificially as well. We always had lonely people over for dinner at our house, and even on Christmas Day. We had people in need live with us at times. You know, my dad sacrificed career advancement so he could be with his family more. My mom raised five kids. She was a stay-at-home mom. Listen, bad sense of direction and corniness is a small price to pay for something like that. But bad sense of direction and corniness came naturally to me. I didn't have to try for that. I didn't necessarily want those. I want these other amazing characteristics that my parents have, but those ones don't come as naturally. I have to work at those. But because I was raised by people who showed me that those are good values, I see the value in them and I want them. I'm motivated for them. I don't work hard at being virtuous so that my parents will love me. My parents already love me. I work hard at having those virtues because I've seen how those virtues have made a difference in my family through my parents. I want to I bless others as I've been blessed by them. If you've received the gift of salvation that comes through knowing Jesus, then you're God's child. And if you're God's child, then you're going to recognize that his way is better. And you'll want to work for those virtues that are listed in this passage and other passages in the Bible like it. Look at verse 5. You'll work hard to have faith. right? Both, both trusting him when life gets hard and being faithful and dependable in yourself. You'll also fight hard to be good, making moral choices that are morally right and virtuous rather than sinful. Verse 6, you'll put effort into growing deeper in your knowledge of Jesus. Yes, listening to sermons and lessons, and even, even though you tend to think that they may be boring for you, but you're also going to read the Bible yourself. On top of that, you're going to push yourself to have self-control. Not saying or doing everything that pops into your head to say or do. Not taking what you want because you want it. Not doing what you want because you want to. But doing what is honoring to God and, yes, LITs, even to your parents. 
and adults. We still have to honor our parents too, even if we don't obey them the same way. On top of that, you're going to fight for perseverance. You had self-control once, good job, now do it again. You read your Bible and prayed today, that's awesome, and I mean that, now do it more. Do it again tomorrow. You trust God when things are good, keep going when things get tough. When you find doubt attacking you. Verse 7. Not only that, but pursue godliness. Guys, godliness means having a character that's like God. You're like God. I wonder how many of us even consider your character and what shapes it. Have you thought about that? The way that you spend your time, the things that you do, they shape your character. What media are you taking in? Is that helpful to make you to want to be more like God, or is it making you want to be more like the culture around you? Have you ever stopped and think, thought about this movie that I'm watching, this social media app that I'm using? Is this helping me to be godly, or is it pushing me away from godliness? We need to start thinking in categories more like that. Uh, you know, I gave up on social media a, a, a number of years ago, not to be a paragon of virtue myself or anything like that. I think there's a lot of reasons that I did it. I just got discouraged with all the garbage that was on there and realized I didn't need it. But part of the real thing that I realized also was that I was wasting my time looking into the lives of people who didn't love God and were saying that that was a good thing. And that was either tempting me away from what I knew was true or just discouraging my heart. You know, I gave, I'm not saying you have to give up social media, but I gave a challenge a number of months ago about, you know, on your phone, if you have a phone, there is a health and wellness app that's on there that's built into your phone that tells you how much time you spend on all your apps each day. Have you had the bravery to go into that app and see how much time do you spend on social media? I guarantee that for most of us, it's way too much time. Especially if you were to compare that, weigh that against how much time you spend reading the Bible, praying, singing songs to God, and spending with other Christians. Right? Pursue godliness. And also make it a priority to, to grow in mutual affection. What's, what's mutual affection? The word there is literally Philadelphia in Greek. You know the city of Philadelphia is a city of brotherly love. It's family love. And maybe your family drives you crazy. But you can't help but love them, right? You get mad at them and don't want to be in the same room as them, but you'd be devastated if they died. And when things are good, it's really amazing. When Peter calls us to work hard and have good family love, but not just with our families. Although, and I, and I want to say this, right? We shouldn't be content with it. I don't want to be in the same room with you, but I'll cry at your funeral. That's not, that's not healthy with your family, brothers and sisters, or anybody, right? If there's an issue with your family, you should care about that and work on it and, and put effort into it as much as you can, as far as it depends on you. But Peter's main point is that we'll have that same kind of family love for other Christians. To care that way about your brothers and sisters in Christ. And then at the end of the list is that we need to strive for love. Right? This one isn't Philadelphia love, it's agape love. If you've been around the church for a while, you've heard that phrase for sure. That, that word agape love, it's the highest Christian virtue. It's the kind of love that isn't just a feeling, but it's an action. It affects the way that you care for people, the way that you respond to God. I said at the top 
and bottom rung of this ladder are the most important. That's how the virtue ladder genre works. Faith and love are the, the outmost ring, rungs of this ladder. They're the reason that we do this in the first place. We trust God that his way is best and we love him so that we want to be like him and we live the way he called us to, to live. We trust him through faith and we love him and so we, we pursue this. But it takes work and it's not gonna come naturally. The spirit of God changes your heart so that you want to do them and he will help you. But you have a role to play too so get to work. But there's another motivation for why we should grow to become more like Jesus or why we will grow to become more like Jesus. The first one is that growing to be like Jesus takes work, so we need to get to work. But the motivation is that growing to be like Jesus is the only life that makes sense. So don't be dumb. Listen, the only way to live as a Christian, the only life that makes sense is to grow to be more like Jesus. Anything else is just dumb. It's stupidity. It's stupidity. Look at verse 8, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 8. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now he says doing this, working for these virtues, so that you possess them and are growing in them, they're the only way to, <coughs> excuse me, to avoid being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of Jesus Christ. Now those two words ineffective and unproductive, are much less descriptive in English than they are in Greek. In Greek, ineffective has the, the idea of a, a useless, lazy worker who's just hanging around doing nothing. When I was, when I was 20, I worked at the Loblaws uh, distribution warehouse in Cambridge. I've told you some of you this before. Um, it, I worked in a refrigerator with no windows uh, all day long, and it was dreary work and... I know I picked up groceries that had been ordered by grocery stores and got them ready to ship, and I didn't like this job. But if you kept busy and kept going, and there was lots of work to do, your day went by pretty quickly. The problem was some people just didn't want to do that, right? And there's, it was one of those jobs that had the seniority ladder, and if you got to a certain point in seniority, you weren't allowed to be assigned the job that I had unless you wanted to take it. So the only jobs that were left were being on the forklift to put things on the high shelf or being on janitorial. So what these guys who didn't want to work would do is they would get on the forklift and they'd just keep dropping stuff. And so they'd damage all this product on purpose so that they wouldn't be allowed to be on forklift anymore. They wouldn't get fired. they just, okay, we don't want you on that anymore. All you can do is janitorial. But janitorial was a job that you just kind of had to walk around and clean stuff as you saw it, and these guys just would hide. And, and I mean, literally, one, one time I was looking for, you know, a product that I was supposed to put on my pallet kind of in the back corner of the warehouse, and there was a guy standing there with his, like, big cleaning Zamboni thing, just doing nothing. I was like, oh, am I in your way? He's like, no, you're good. So I did my thing. I came back two hours later, and he hadn't moved. He was in the exact same spot. Guys, I am not the most industrious person in the world. I have a bit of a lazy streak, but that is dumb. Like, that's so boring. Like, just do something. It makes your day go, go by faster. Don't be useless. The other word, unproductive that is in this passage, it describes the same thing but from a different angle, from a, from a, a farming angle. It, it describes a fruit tree that has no fruit on it. If you're a Christian who won't fight to grow to be more like Jesus, won't fight to grow in holiness, you're like that lazy worker in a fruitless fruit tree. 
The knowledge of Jesus that you've been given is making no difference in your life. And that just doesn't make sense. Something has gone terribly wrong. And there's, there's good reason to worry about yourself. Peter continues that thought in verse 9, and he says this, But whoever does not have them, that is those virtues, is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. If you don't see the need to fight, to grow in holiness, to be more like Jesus, then something is wrong with your vision. Peter says you're nearsighted and blind. Now that's kind of a funny thing to say, right? I wear glasses because I'm nearsighted, but if my vision went altogether, I wouldn't keep wearing them because they wouldn't help me anymore. Peter's showing us just how bad this is. You're nearsighted and you're blind. How ridiculous it is to live this way. How nonsensical it is. How dumb it is. He says, you can't be a Christian and not care about growing in holiness. You're not seeing the most important thing in your life. You forget the point of all this. You forget that living God's way is the only way worth living. Forget that God sacrificed so that you could be here. So, so how about us? How about you? Do you forget that Jesus died for your sins and rose again? Don't you care what he purchased for you? That he cleansed you from your sin so you don't have to be this way anymore. That is, if you're really a Christian. Because if you don't care about growing in holiness, the evidence points to you not being a Christian. And I, some of you here aren't Christians. Some of you here know you're not a Christian, and some of you don't know that you aren't a Christian. Sometimes it's hard to tell, because maybe you agree with the, the teachings of Christianity in your head, but you don't realize that you don't actually love Jesus. But Christianity isn't just a get-out-of-hell-free card, right? Not just fire insurance. Christianity is a kingdom, as we're going to see later in this passage, where you turn from everything in this world that seems important, and then you love, lovingly and loyally follow the king who gave everything for you. Have you actually put Jesus as the king of your life? That is a question that every single one of us needs to remember and think about every day. Teens, adults, everybody. Have you not just asked Jesus to forgive your sins so you can avoid the consequences? But if you ask him to forgive your sins because you hate your sin, because you love him, have you turned from your sin to him? That is a prerequisite, a, a basic tenet of what it means to be a Christian. That you've repented, you've turned from your sin. Right? If not, you need to do this today. Please, please take this seriously. And don't delay in it any longer. If you need more information, or you can ask someone sitting near you after the service. Or come talk to one of the pastors and elders. We would love to talk to you more. But do not leave this place Without trusting in Jesus and making him your king, I beg you. Now maybe, maybe you know you're not growing in holiness. But you really are a Christian. That's, that's possible. It may be that you're just immature and you need to grow. People even walk away from their faith for a time and come back. I met a man like that recently who, who did. But listen, don't depend on that. Don't be satisfied 
to be there. The evidence of your life points to who you are. And lots of people who say, well, I'm going to wait and come back later just never do. If you don't want to follow God now, you probably won't want to later in your life either. That's a scary place to be. But listen, just because maybe you aren't doing very well in your spiritual life right now, don't lose hope. The question is, what are you going to do in response to God's word challenging you? Here's here's a question I want you to think about seriously. Do you feel a tug inside of you to start taking this seriously and to fight your sin and to grow in holiness? Do you even feel a little bit of that? Yeah, oh man, I know I need to do that. If you do, that's a really good sign, guys. Even if there's also a voice whispering in your ear telling you you'll never be able to do it, it's too hard, it's not worth it. Do you know what you need to do? You need to tell that voice that it's a liar and then it needs to shut up. That conviction of sin, that tug in your heart to run after God, that's the Holy Spirit working in you. That's the one you need to listen to. There's a spark. And now it's up to you whether you'll fan that spark into a flame or snuff it out. Don't quench the Holy Spirit in you. Don't fight against what he's doing in your heart. Don't resist what he's saying to you right now through the preaching of his word. Pray to the Holy Spirit to give you grace and strength to fan that spark of his work into a flame that will consume your whole life for God. Don't be nearsighted and blind. Don't be dumb. Don't forget that you've already been cleansed from your past sins. Growing in holiness will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive and useless and fruitless in your knowledge of Jesus. There's one more motivation that's given to us in this passage, though. Right, we've seen that growing to be like Jesus, it takes work, so we need to work at it. The motivation that growing to be like Jesus is the only life that makes sense for Christians, so we need to not be dumb. And finally, that growing to be like Jesus is it's only a temporary journey, an eternal life, so don't give up. Right? This, this, this fight seems like it's so hard all the time and it's never going to end, but it will. Growing to be like Jesus is only a temporary journey in an eternal life, so don't give up. Look at verse 10. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. And you will receive a rich welcome into an eternal kingdom, the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. These two verses, verses 10 and 11, they span eternity. They're incredible verses. They talk about what God did in eternity past before he created anything and what he's going to do in eternity future when the purpose of all his creation reaches its end. And somewhere between those two ends of eternity, if you can even say that, or maybe those endless directions of eternity, somewhere between those two, this verse talks about us here and now. Right? Because we have such a small view of the world by nature, we just know a tiny sliver of what's real. We don't know the future. Most of us forgot what happened in the past. 
And listen, even if we knew everything that ever has happened or will happen in human history, we still only know a sliver of all that's real because human history will not last forever and there is eternity beyond that. God is eternal. His plan for salvation is eternal. Did you know that the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4, that all of us who are Christians, that he chose us in Jesus Christ before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. Before the creation of the world, that is before you and I existed, before anything existed, before time existed, in eternity past, God chose you to belong to him and be holy. He said, she's mine. I'm going to save him for myself and I'm going to make her perfectly holy. No sin at all. He said that before sin, before sin even existed. God chose you if you're a Christian. It was his sovereign free choice. I don't know why. Certainly not because any of us deserved it. But just because he set his mercy and love on us. Listen, Christians argue over this whole choosing thing a lot. What about free will? All I know is that I can't read the Bible at face value and not see this truth in there. That God is completely in control of, over who gets saved. Read Ephesians chapter 1, that whole thing is about how God saved us, and see how many times it says because, because God wanted to, according to his will, and how many times it had anything to do with us, our choice. But it is true that the Bible tells us that alongside of God's sovereign will, we do have a real choice to make. I don't know how those things fit together, but they're both in the Bible. But this teaching isn't in the Bible for us to argue about, it's in the Bible to encourage us. Because we can know that if we're saved, guys, that God made a choice not to just convert us to his religion, but so that we would get to the end of the journey. That's our guarantee. In the end of all this life and struggle, we will stand before God holy and blameless. We will make it because God chose us to. And no one can upend God's plans. Why would you argue with that? It's an incredibly encouraging truth. Now, Sometimes Christians distort this truth, and they say things like, once saved, always saved, by which they mean, I know she's not living it right now, but she said she believed Jesus, she got baptized, so she can't lose that. Now, don't doubt she's a Christian, you're not allowed to. Now, this passage says something slightly different, though. It's true that those who are truly saved can't lose their salvation because it's in God's hands, but those who are truly saved, who have been chosen and called by God, will show evidence that in their lives, by growing in holiness and persevering to the end, they'll show that evidence. They'll show that it's true. If someone isn't living that way, we should, in fact, we should in fact doubt that they are Christians or ever were in the first place. Ultimately, that's up to God and between them and God. And we don't know, but we're told to act on the, or, or believe based on the evidence that we see. Look at verse 10 again. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. Calling and election, that means that God's choice of you, right? We elect people in office. Election means choosing. He says, if you're a Christian, you've been chosen, you've been called, you've been elected by God, and you need to spend your life growing in holiness as a confirmation of that calling and election. Don't take it for granted. That would be dumb, nearsighted, blind, unfruitful, and useless. Those are verbs that he said. Remember that those who belong to God will bear fruit as evidence. And so run the race. Work hard in the strength of the Holy Spirit. Pursue God's way of life and those virtues because you know they are worth it. 
Verse 10 continues and says, For if you do these things, you will never stumble. You know, never, never stumble. Does that mean that if you work hard at this holiness thing, you're never going to sin? No, that's not the point that he's saying. Remember why he wrote this passage, or why he wrote this, this book. Because there were false teachers in the church who claimed to know Jesus, but had completely fallen away from their, from, from their faith and from living holy lives. They had proven their faith to be false. And because they wanted to continue to sin, they'd given up on everything, believing the basic truths of the gospel. They are the ones who had stumbled in this context. And we'll see about them in a few weeks. In the journey of the Christian life, they had stumbled and fallen. They had fallen completely away. And Peter says, if you spend your life fighting for holiness and growing in it, you will never fall away like that. And the result in verse 11 is that you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You'll reach the end of your journey and be welcomed into the eternal kingdom of Jesus. Those false teachers who have stumbled on the way and they no longer walk with Jesus, they will not be welcomed in. But all who value what Jesus did, enough to fight for holiness, will be welcomed with holy arms. Not because they fought for holiness, but because their fighting for holiness proved that they really knew Jesus in the first place. Sin will finally be done away with forever and the struggle will be over. Guys, fighting for holiness, it's really hard. Sometimes the struggle can feel never-ending. Sometimes it's not even just about the, 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 the virtues that we do. When I say holiness, I don't just mean you know, doing good things. I mean the whole aspect of faith and believing and trusting when the world tells us that there are better things, when people tell us that the Bible's not true, when life is hard. Holding on to this is hard. And sometimes we go through this cycle of failing, asking for forgiveness and repenting, doing okay for a while and then failing again. Or doubting, holding on, and then the doubt comes back. It's just a cycle that's over and over again. It feels hopeless and pointless. But guys, it's not hopeless and it's not pointless. As we said last week, God has given you everything you need to live a godly life. And I know that some of you left this place encouraged by that and challenged by that and ready to fight and you fell flat in your face. Sin still got you this week in serious ways. This passage is telling you, do not be discouraged. Get up. Confess your sin both to God and to a brother or sister in Christ who can help you. Repent, which means turn your face away from that sin and beg and plead with God for grace and strength to obey him. And just keep going. It won't be the last time you fail. But you will eventually start to grow and to do better. And you will even put your sin to death by the power of the Holy Spirit. And then you're going to find sins that you didn't even know that you had to continue to grow in. But don't grow weary of this journey. Persevere. Keep going. If you do, you will not stumble and fall away. You will make it to the end one day. Whatever day God decides that's going to be. And when you get there, it will be all over. And God will richly receive you into his eternal kingdom. The kingdom of Jesus, where sin is no more and there's no more struggle. What a wonderful day that's going to be. I don't think we can really even begin to understand what life would be like without sin. But we can believe that it's true. 
We can hold on to that hope. We can let that motivate our hearts to cling to God, to lean into the Holy Spirit, to fan him into a flame in our lives and fight to be more like Jesus. You know, in a moment, we're going to take communion together. Communion is a gift given by Jesus to the church where we consider our lives and turn to Jesus and make sure that we're on this journey to honor him together. It's a, it's a time for reflection. That's why we prayed that prayer of confession at the beginning of the service. Guys, maybe you're here this morning and you're limping in your faith, crawling, barely making it. Maybe you're running along well. But whatever, if you're on track, it's all because of what Jesus has done and provided for you. We don't take communion as an individual thing just between us and Jesus, but all of us do it together. Communion means Fellowship, relationship with Jesus, but also relationship with one another around this room. And we need each other. Those who are strong will have days when they're not. We need to take care of one another through this and celebrate that together. But first, we'll pray together and then worship him through singing. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your Holy Spirit who's at work in us. Thank you for your Son who died on the cross for our sins and rose again to cleanse us from our sins. Thank you for his example and his righteousness that's given to us. Help us to fight to be like him. Knowing that our goodness doesn't, doesn't make you more pleased with us, you love us because you love us. That was your choice. But that we know your way is better. These virtues are good and we want to live by them. Help us to, to fight, to not be useless, to not be unfruitful to not be blind and nearsighted, to not stumble and fall away. Lord, for maybe for any who have done that, that you would convict their hearts in this moment and draw them back to you. As we sing and as we take communion, Lord, would you give us encouragement, remind us deeply of what Christ has done for us and how that unites us to you and to each other. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.